Whitney. I'm Danielle. And we are the founders of Sakara Life, on a mission to nourish your body and transform your life. Sakara is a Sanskrit word that describes the action of turning your thoughts into things and manifesting your reality. We believe that who we surround ourselves with, what we watch, what we listen to, what we eat, the information that we take in, impacts the way we think and therefore who we are. The conversations that follow are with bold thinkers who have had an impact on how we view the world, ourselves, and what it means to live the Saqqara life. The intention of these conversations is to push each of us to greater heights so that we can turn our thoughts into things and all shine our light a little brighter. We are so excited to be on this journey with you. Welcome to the Saqqara life. Also, please note we are recording from our homes via Zoom, so please forgive us for any sound issues. Dr. Will Bolshewitz is a New York Times bestselling author of the book Fiber Fueled and creator of the Plant Fed Gut Course, a seven-week educational course to help people reverse gut dysbiosis and heal. He's also an award-winning gastroenterologist, gut health expert, and author of more than 20 articles in the top American gastroenterology journals. The core of his philosophy focuses on lifestyle medicine that uses food, exercise, and other lifestyle factors to optimize your gut and take control of your health. The Dr. B is also a graduate of Georgetown University and was chief medical resident at Northwestern Memorial Hospital and chief gastroenterology fellow at the University of North Carolina Hospitals. I can't wait for you all to listen to this conversation. Dr. B and I have a lot of shared beliefs when it comes to food and medicine and the gut. And I probably could have talked to him for another few hours. So I hope you enjoy. Well, hi, Dr. B. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm, I'm personally so excited to have you on the Sakara podcast. Danielle, it's a tremendous pleasure to be here on the Sakara podcast. I am a huge fan of you guys, of your brand, of your food. And I had to actually lock the door to the room I'm in because my wife wanted to bust in and talk to you guys too, because she loves <laughs> you guys so much. So, Oh, that's so lovely. Well, we adore you just as much. And I'm so excited to dig in because we just, we overlap in so many ways. So I'm excited to hear your perspective on everything, food, gut, et cetera. But we usually start off with our mission. So I'm curious to hear yours. What is your mission here on earth? And and what do you feel like you are here to, to gift all of us? I love the way that you framed that. Why are you here on earth? And the reason why is because I feel like I am on this mission to help people to heal from the inside out, heal through the power of their microbiome. And the funny thing about it is that like, I am not a social media person, even though most people know me from my social media account. But that mission, my goal to help people, to sincerely help people from the inside out is what has driven and fueled everything that I do. And it's led me to places that I never thought that I would ever go. And now here I am and I'm hanging out with you. So, <laughs> cool. was, well, you're a natural and I love your content. And I'd say there's so many areas that, that we overlap in, but the most important I really think is that we both are on this mission to make fiber sexy again. 
It is sexy. It's sexy, but <laughs> it you and sexy. I are the only ones that are seeing it right now. We're the only ones who are picking up the sexy fiber magazine. <laughs> when did it become unsexy? I mean, I remember when I was growing up, my mom, you know, was all into fiber. I feel like ooh, 80s, early 90s, fiber was kind of all the rage. And it was like you would add wheat germ and fiber to everything, fiber crackers. I feel like when that really became trendy. But now it's out of trend. And I'm like, how did that happen? Fiber is so critical. So can you talk about why you think fiber is sexy? Well, first of all, I think the reason why, I think you've already shown us why fiber became unsexy because of wheat germ and crackers. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, if that's the best that we can do when it comes to fiber, then we're not doing it the way that it should be done. And the reality is that fiber is sexy because at the end of the day, This is not only one of the most important nutrients that we should be focusing on from a health perspective, but it also is perhaps our greatest deficiency in the Western world. 97% of Americans are not even hitting the minimal, I'm not talking optimal, I'm talking the minimal recommended amount of fiber. 97% of us are not getting it. And we're suffering the consequences. Yeah, and we're suffering the consequences. And what is that minimal amount? That's the 25 grams? 25 grams for women and 38 grams for men. But I also think that we need to we need to re-examine fiber because you know we've been kind of taught some things about fiber that are flat out not true. So, you know, it's just like we've learned that it's just grams of fiber and it doesn't matter whether you get your grams of fiber from a fiber one bar or from eating a delicious, you know, Saqqara Life salad that has all these different vivid colors and flavors and textures. Well, there's a difference. And what people need to understand is that fiber is not just this one generic thing. There are at least millions, if not billions of types of fiber that exist in nature, each biochemically different, all with their own unique properties. And where you find it is consistently in one place, plants. Plants have a total monopoly on fiber. If you want to get fiber, you have to get it from something that is either a plant or it's derived from a plant. And these different types of plant fibers, you'll find different types of fibers in different plants. This is part of the argument in favor of eating the rainbow and getting all the different varieties and types of plants into your diet is that they all have different types of fiber. And those different types of fiber have differential effects on our body, including perhaps most importantly on our gut microbiome. Yeah. One of the nutrition pillars here at Sakara Life is to make sure that you're getting a variety. And that's so important for so many reasons. One of which you just mentioned, which is getting all those different types of fibers, but also those different types of nutrients, whether they're vitamins and minerals or phytonutrients, polyphenols, et cetera. Can you talk about the difference between, I want to get into all the different types of of fibers, but I Mm -hmm. think there's this fundamental misconception, and you mentioned it, that all fiber is created equal, that if I eat a fiber cracker or a bowl of brown rice or you know a carrot, that it's all kind of the same as long as I'm hitting those grams, which is one of the problems with nutrition labels in general, is they just generalize everything. Right. So can you talk about what is the fundamental difference between me eating you know one of those fiber crackers versus a Saqqara meal or a bountiful bowl of, of plants? Well, I think it really boils down to the vehicle that you are delivering the content or the product in, right? So for example, we could talk about sugar and then we can extrapolate and talk and apply the same rules to fiber. If you take a berry and you 
juice it and you remove the fiber and all you have is the sugar, that's basically a fructose load. And that's not something that I necessarily feel is going to be supremely healthy. But on the flip side, if you maintain the fiber that's there with the berry and combine the fiber plus the sugar that's naturally existing within the berry, you have something that's incredibly healthy that actually prevents diabetes, even though people seem to believe that it causes it, that actually prevents weight gain, that actually helps people with weight loss. So I think the point is that when we have the fiber packaged together in its natural form, which is in a fruit, a vegetable, whole grain, seed, nut, legume, when you have it in its natural form, it is the way that nature developed it and it includes those phytochemicals and those vitamins and minerals. And you have the varieties of fiber that exist within one plant. Whereas if you isolate it and you get just one specific type of fiber, and then you mix that one specific type of fiber in with some cereal stuff like that, that you create a bar. It's just, you can't compare the two. It's not the same. One specific type of fiber is not the same as this plant that has multiple different types of fiber within it. So I just think that we need to separate the two. You know, there's the natural form, which is really the way that nature intended it. And then there's these highly processed, highly refined forms, which, you know, by the way, I should also mention include many times when we're processing our foods, Many times we're going to include additives like preservatives or colorants or things of that variety that are altering the natural state of our food. And we don't really know what the effects of those things are. Yeah, it's no mistake that our ancestors were nomadic and as they were roaming, getting a huge variety of plants naturally and eating upwards of 100 grams of fiber. So what is your hope for the population in general, like how many grams of fiber do you typically tell people to reach for? Well, you know, it's interesting. I actually, Danielle, I don't make it a goal so much as to count the grams of fiber. Instead, I choose to count the varieties of plants. So I, yeah, I'm going to pivot and I have a different rule. And so, because if you are eating a predominantly plant-based diet, which there is an overwhelming amount of information and science to demonstrate to us that the optimal diet for human health in terms of longevity, in terms of disease prevention, the optimal diet for human health is a plant-based diet, ideally 70, 80, 90, or hundred percent plant-based. And so when you're eating that way, if you are focusing on getting as many different varieties of plants into your diet, then you are getting all the different vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals, and different forms of fiber. And it's kind of interesting, the downstream effect of this, because when we measure the health of our microbiome, it's kind of cool and interesting to think about this, Daniel. And by the way, I'm going to apologize ahead of time because I'm a nerd. Let me, in case I haven't made that abundantly clear already, let me just come clean right off the bat. I'm a nerd. Me too. It's fine. <laughs> cool. I love this stuff. And so what's interesting is to think about our microbiome. And the measure of health within our microbiome, which by the way, is this community of microorganisms that include bacteria and fungi and things like that, that live inside of us, mostly inside of our colon. The measure of health to our microbiome is the diversity of species. What's interesting is that this is the exact same measure of health that we use for any ecosystem, whether that be our microbiome or the Amazon rainforest or the Great Barrier Reef. Biodiversity is the key. When you have a diverse microbiome, it is resilient. It is hardy. It has all the different players because these microbes are just like us. They have different skills. They're not all exactly the same. And so when you have that variety, it's ready to take on whatever challenge you're going to present to it. So we want a diverse microbiome. 
And the reason why a diverse diet is so critically important is that because each plant has its own unique types of fiber, and fiber is the preferred food of these microbes that live inside of us. This is their food. So when we feed them a diverse diet, what we end up doing is we end up feeding all of these different microbes. A diverse diet correlates to a diverse microbiome. And this is more than just some idea that I came up with that sounds kind of cool. This is actually scientifically proven. There was a study that was done, Danielle, called the American Gut Project. And in the American Gut Project, which, by the way, is probably the most well-positioned study to give us insights into the connection between our diet and the health of our microbiome, when they analyzed the American Gut Project, they found that there was one single most powerful predictor of a healthy gut, and that was the diversity of plants in your diet. That was the number one predictor of a healthy gut microbiome. So the point is, no matter who you are, you could be vegan, you could be plant-based or plant-predominant, or you could be some other form of diet. You could be paleo or keto or whatever, whoever you are out there. If there's only one thing you take away from this conversation, let it be that you need to ramp up the diversity of plants within your diet. We talk about this all the time and people always want tips boiled down and have a really hard time doing that because it's it's the holistic approach that really transformed my life and you know all of our Sakara lights. But I understand the need to, okay, here are three ways you can start. And for me, that's focusing on getting an abundance of organic whole plants into your diet, getting six to eight cups of leafy greens. And three is every time you go to the grocery store, buy one or two new kinds of fruits or vegetables, like something that you've never tried before, just so you can start to get that diversity. And I think people are surprised at how little diversity they actually have in their diet. So what are some of the stats around that? How many plants are most people eating on a regular basis? Well, unfortunately, we are creatures of habit. And if you are not making an a active push, if you are not making a conscious effort to increase the diversity within your diet, our food system is not going to do it for you. Our food system is about simplicity and trying to get you to mostly consume three specific crops, which are wheat and corn and soy. And so the average American is typically getting 15 or less different plants per week into their diet, which is extremely, extremely low. And in this study, just to kind of give you the benchmark of where you need to be aiming, in this study, the American Gut Project, the threshold that they found that predicted a healthy gut microbiome was eating at least 30 different plants per week. Now, that sounds kind of intimidating, like, whoa, 30, that sounds like a lot. But there's ways, as you mentioned, Danielle, and you just brought up a couple of really nice, strong strategies to try to improve the amount of diversity within your diet. There's ways that you can do this, and it really starts with one fundamental principle, which is make this your core dietary philosophy. And if that's true, if every single time that you are thinking about food, you are thinking about how do I get more diversity in here, then you're going to accomplish this goal quite easily. For example, Danielle, I have two kids. My daughter is six. My son just turned four. And some people might say, well, getting kids to eat plant-based is really hard. And I'll give you an example of how we roll. If we're making tomato sauce, it doesn't have to be just tomato sauce and pasta. You can take that tomato sauce and I'll bring my kids into the kitchen with me and we'll start throwing veggies in there, throwing the garlic, onions, zucchini, 
mushrooms. Perhaps you throw in some spinach or some kale. I'm sure there's other things that the people who are at home listening right now would come up with. And frankly, they would probably make me start to drool. And I would be like, that's a great idea. (laughs) And you make this sauce that is not that hard. It's way more delicious. Your kids are super psyched about it because they helped you to cook it. So it's not that hard. You, I mean, eight or nine right there, boom, that's one meal. You're already almost a third of the way to 30. Yeah. And I also think that it's so important to take off the lens that eating well is hard. I think we've been conditioned to, to think that way. And that's because I think big food corp has made it hard because most of the things in the grocery store aren't our friend. But if you can, exactly what you're saying, if you can just think of ways to add more plants into what you're already eating, like when we talk about six to eight cups of greens, if you're having family pizza night, add a handful of spinach on top of your pizza. And it's getting that. And I was this person, I was, you know, a yo-yo dieter who really, if you gave me a set of rules, I would stick to them. And I think that's in our culture too, especially American culture is good food, bad food, don't eat this, this equals this. And though there are certainly foods that I would suggest people never eat or very rarely eat, I still think the focus has to be on what are you eating that's good for you instead of what you shouldn't eat. And I think that lens I've personally found really helpful to take off that diet hat, so to speak, and put on the hat of like, okay, well, what am I eating that I know is is nourishing? And it sounds like you have that thematically throughout what you do too, even not talking about grams. It's like, it's not about a number. It's it's so much bigger than that. And it's actually taking off the need to prescribe to these really tight ranges of, I've got to hit this amount of protein and this amount of fiber. And when you can get to, we call it body intelligence, which I, I firmly believe comes mostly from the gut, <laughs> but the more you can feed the gut, and really have that diverse microbiome, the better your brain works, the better you actually get to listen to that gut instinct of what to eat and what not to eat. And for me, as somebody that never had that and always thought that what my body was telling me to eat were cravings and cravings were bad, it's been one of the most profound changes that I've felt. And it's it's offered such a sense of freedom to really allow myself to listen to myself and then my body intelligence to guide what I eat every single day. Gosh, I love that. I, I don't even know where to begin because that was incredible. And I kind of, I'll start by saying that I think you might be my sister. Um, so, <laughs> Related for sure. Yeah. So I completely agree with you. And a big part of what I want to do with my platform is to teach people exactly what you just said, which is that success within diet is not about restriction. It's not about deprivation. It's about creating a mindset where rather than running away from the food that is so that we have demonized and we're supposed to be scared of, rather than constantly running away, let's run towards the food that heals. Let's gravitate towards healing foods. Let's build our diet around the stuff that is delicious and nutritious, that basically brings us joy in terms of our taste buds, but also brings us joy because we accomplish our health goals. Mm -hmm. And I sincerely believe that that is actually shockingly easier to accomplish than most people realize. Because when you're eating the right food, you can eat in abundance, in diversity, without restriction, have the weight that you want, have the health that you want, enjoy your food, all the flavors, all the textures, all the colors, 
it will all be there. And there doesn't need to be, this is part of the reason why to come clean, Danielle, when I wrote my book. So let me just say, full disclosure, I'm vegan and I'm thriving on a vegan diet. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I fully recognize that not every single person on this planet is going to embrace veganism. And it's not going to happen certainly this year. I wish that it would, but I recognize that that's not going to happen. But what I do sincerely believe is that we all thrive when we are eating a predominantly plant-based diet. And so I wrote my book, Fiber Fueled, with the intent of wanting to connect with people wherever they are and not say, hey, you have to be this. And if you're not, you're not right. Instead, I want to connect with you where you are. Say, let me lay out the path. Let me lay out the path that I sincerely believe is going to lead you to better health and, and more joy. And then let's walk in that direction. You get to choose how you take that path, how far you go with it, and also whether or not you ever deviate from that path. That's up to you. And that's okay. And, and the punchline in my book is that I really believe that striving towards a 90% plant-based diet, not to say that you should restrict yourself to 90%, but if you strive towards a 90% plant-based diet, then that last 10% can be your little spot that you play with. And it's okay to be imperfect and have certain things that you enjoy. I have things that I enjoy. I don't drink an IPA because I think that it's going to help me to live longer. I drink an IPA because I like drinking an IPA. One of our mottos is eat clean, play dirty. And it's this idea that we're not striving for perfection. And I think so often we have the wrong North Star when it comes to our wellness goals. It's like wellness for wellness sake so that the things that are supposed to make us feel good are actually just another thing on the on the to-do list. Or it's something like, yeah, I want to lose five pounds because I'm going to the Hamptons in a couple of weeks. It's like, it's not the ultra motivating, move my soul kind of North Star, which for me, if I had been being honest with myself when I was such a dieter, like I wanted to feel powerful in my body. I wanted to feel empowered in my body but I was pretending like my North Star was some kind of weight loss that I wanted or this perfect body that I felt like I didn't have. Mm. And it was actually so demotivating and, and pushed me in not so healthy directions. And so what one thing I hear that you're saying is let's like focus on what you actually want, which is how do you want to feel? And the beautiful thing about eating this way is that it's so compounding in so much that it's not like eating fiber is just feeding your microbes. It's like that fiber that's in those whole food plants that you mentioned are also full of so many other nutrients that are doing other amazing things for your body. And the more that you eat this way, at least I found like the more I want to eat this way because I'm not really willing to sacrifice how good I feel. And one thing I'd love for you to walk us through, because I think it's one thing to, to talk about fiber is important for the gut and diversity, but can you really just walk all of us through exactly the connection between what we eat and our gut? So like what exactly happens? What is the entire process between our plate and our gut? Oh gosh. So that's a fascinating topic. Your gut microbiome, this community of bacteria and fungi and these things called archaea is a reflection of your environment, all right, which includes the world that you live in, includes the people that you come into contact with, includes your stress, your mood, and perhaps most importantly, the food that you eat. Each one of us on a daily basis consumes about three pounds of food 
And that three pounds of food is going to make its way through the 20 to 25 feet of intestine that you have and ultimately come into contact with these microbes that live inside of you. And these microbes, they're not just like hanging out. They're not just like parasites consuming the food that you eat. They're a dynamic part of the human body. In fact, I would go so far as to say that the most important part of human health is not even human. It's our gut microbiome. And mm. so what happens with the food that you eat, Danielle, is that after chewing it up and swallowing it down, it passes through your stomach and your small intestine and enters into the colon, which is where these microbes live. And they get into an absolute feeding frenzy. They are devouring what's left over of your food that hasn't already been processed and digested and absorbed. And specifically, they hone in on the fiber. The fiber is their food. This is why we call many types of fiber prebiotic, P-R-E, because it is the food for our microbes. But they don't just consume it. I mean, they do. They consume it and they grow stronger because they're eating food. But in the same regard, they want to pay you back. When you feed them, they want to turn around and say, thank you for what you just did to help us. We're going to help you back, but we're going to pay you back in spades. And what they do is they take the fiber and they transform it. And what ends up happening is one of the most, I mean, I think magical things in all nutrition, because fiber changes into what are called short chain fatty acids, things like butyrate, acetate, and propionate. They basically slice, dice, repackage the fiber, and boom, here we are magically short chain fatty acids, which are, I think this is the biggest secret in all of nutrition. This is a big deal. Because what ends up happening, let me just kind of, if you don't mind, Daniel, walk the listeners through what happens with Please. the short-chain fatty acids. Okay. So like, let's just start with the gut. Short-chain fatty acids enhance the growth of the anti-inflammatory microbes, the good guys. And simultaneously, we have studies that show that they will directly impair the growth of the unhealthy microbes. I'm talking about stuff like salmonella and shigella and E. coli. They actually squash those guys and reduce them. So you are rebalancing the gut so you have more good guys and less bad guys. That's exactly what you want to happen. Sorry, I want you to go on here, but can you just quickly speak to just so people have context of like what a good microbe does for you versus a bad microbe, just really high level. Okay, so really, really high level. These microbes, as I mentioned, are dynamically interpreting your food and repurposing it. You know, this short chain fatty acid is an example of how these microbes can repurpose our food, take fiber, and turn it into short chain fatty acids, which are healing and anti inflammatory. But there's other examples of what these good microbes do. Good microbes can take the polyphenols that exist in your plants, these are antioxidant compounds. Many times, these are the things that give the plants the color that we see. And so they will take these polyphenols, like a resveratrol is an example. You see, you find resveratrol in red wine and they will actually activate it and turn it into something that has healing properties. And without the microbe, the resveratrol wouldn't do anything. But because of the microbe, we get activated resveratrol that actually has healing effects in our body. So the good guys are doing things like that, taking our food and turning it into something better, which is anti-inflammatory and which actually heals. And the flip side, is that there are microbes that aren't necessarily in the in the business of human health. In fact, they're the opposite. They're trying to provoke inflammation. They're trying to create issues. And these microbes, the bad ones, are the types of microbes that can be connected to the development of ulcerative colitis and other autoimmune type diseases. 
And so what we find, Danielle, is that the opposite of fiber turns in the short chain fatty acids is also true. Let me give you a quick example. We have found that carnitine, which is found in red meat, carn, carnitine found in red meat can be transformed by the inflammatory microbes, the bad guys, to ultimately produce something called TMAO. All right, so TMAO is produced by the bacteria. If you don't have the bacteria, you can't produce TMAO. But the problem is once they produce it, TMAO is something that is basically like a missile attacking your body. It's been connected to the development of heart disease, which is our number one killer in the United States. It's been connected to the development of stroke, to type two diabetes, to chronic kidney disease, to peripheral vascular disease. I just rattled off like four to five of the top 10 causes of death in the United States. And wow. they've all been connected back to this molecule TMAO, which is produced by gut bacteria when they come into contact with carnitine from red meat. So point is that your gut microbiome, I mean, I think that what this exemplifies is that your gut microbiome can take the healing anti-inflammatory benefits of your healthy plant-based diet and amplify it and make it do even more to help you. Or yeah. alternatively, your, I would say like sort of American Western habit of eating too much red meat and have it hurt you even more. And so this is why we want to feed our microbes, the good guys and have them help us. That's what we want. That's so helpful. Thank you. But I'm so curious, like what, why not? What is, what is the connection and why should we be so much more kind of excited about getting short chain fatty acids from the good bacteria than perhaps some other things that are, that are out there in the nutrition world as this bad is, guys? Yeah. This is where fiber gets sexy. This is it. I'm, I'm, about to, I'm about to drop it right now, which is- Cue uh, music. <laughs> yeah. This is not just fiber goes in the mouth and passes out the derriere. This is fiber is dynamic. Fiber is food for your microbes and fiber is transformed into short chain fatty acids. Short chain fatty acids are changing and, and basically enhancing the power of the good guy microbes that live inside you. If you've heard of leaky gut, leaky gut is where there's damage to the lining of the colon. It's a real thing. I would call it dysbiosis, but I understand why people call it leaky gut and short chain fatty acids directly reverse leaky gut. If you don't have enough, how can you heal? Short-chain fatty acids have been connected to the prevention of colon cancer. They actually get into the bloodstream and spread throughout the body with healing effects. They have effects on the immune system. There are ways in which short-chain fatty acids can actually help to regulate the immune system in both ways. What I mean by both ways is that when the immune system needs to chill out, short-chain fatty acids get them to chill. And when the immune system needs to ramp up to fight an infection, we actually have studies that showed the short-chain fatty acids will ramp up the immune system to fight the infection. It will make the immune system more precise. If there's anyone who's listening right now who's experienced brain fog, you may be frustrated because you go to your doctor and they say, oh, well, brain fog doesn't exist and they dismiss you. No, brain fog does exist. It's damage to the blood-brain barrier, just like you can have damage to the gut. And just like short-chain fatty acids will repair the gut lining, they will also repair the blood-brain barrier in the exact same way. And they will cross the blood-brain barrier. And we have studies, Danielle, that suggest that short-chain fatty acids can actually prevent Alzheimer's disease. Do you know what the drug companies would pay for a pill that prevents Alzheimer's disease? But why take a pill when you could just literally change the way that you eat and accomplish that starting today? 
It's all possible. I mean, I'm about to like go grab a cigar meal out of the fridge right now just to make sure I'm getting that fiber. This is incredibly convincing and, and motivating. And now for a quick break, all this talk about the importance of getting your greens and enough fiber and a variety of plants has me feeling hungry. (laughs) So I thought I'd talk about our nutrition program and our mission here at Sakara. Our mission is to help people understand the healing power of food as medicine and realize the role that food plays in our mental and physical well-being. Each of our meals are handcrafted, nutritionally designed to make sure that you're getting all of the necessary nutrients like leafy greens, a huge variety of plants, enough fiber, and so many more nutrients. Our conversation today has inspired us to share a special offer with you, whether you're already a client or have never tried Sakara before. For a limited time, we're offering our listeners $50 off your purchase of our organic nutrition program. To apply this to your next order, use the code podcast50 at checkout. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-5-0 at checkout. And I'm so excited that we get to offer this to you all. Eating this way completely transformed my life, Whitney's life. And we're so grateful that now we get to have the opportunity to transform yours. So enjoy, and now back to our chat with Dr. B. There's so much talk about calories and and weight loss, and as somebody that was a dieter, I, it took me a long time to, sh- to shed this untrue narrative that calorie in is calorie out and weight loss is this really simple algorithm. Can you speak to how the diversity or lack of diversity or dysbiosis of our gut plays a role in maintaining a healthy weight? Sure. So weight loss is complicated. I think it's time that we acknowledge that, right? Because if it was so simple, then why do we have such a problem? And the part of the complexity of trying to lose weight is the effect that our gut microbes have on our metabolism and our weight balance. So what's interesting is that I view weight loss, and by the way, let me just mention that I myself suffered, like I struggled with my own weight and moving to a plant-based diet allowed me to actually eat without restriction, to eat until I was full. And I lost 50 pounds in doing that. Wow. And I never counted calories. I always just ate the proper foods until I was full and then I stopped. Yeah, it's still the number one question that we get here at Sakara. We don't share calories and that's really because of me. (laughs) I want people to be able to escape from that narrative and you can't when calories are just staring back at you. You're not granted the opportunity for food freedom when you know that nutrition panel is staring back at you on every single meal. Yeah, I totally agree. So we have heard that it, you know calories are calories and it's so simple as calories in 
versus calories out. And all you have to do is maintain a negative balance, meaning that the calories out exceeds the number of calories in, and then you win and you lose weight and everything is perfect in your life. And obviously that's just not, it's just not that easy. And what we have found is that the microbiome has this, has a very profound say. And let me give you an example of a study that proves this. Okay. So Danielle, they took identical human twins. It's important that I point out they're identical human twins, because what that means is they have literally the exact same human genetics. But what they found is that in some identical human twins, there was a there's a discordance in terms of their weight. One could be overweight and the other one could be skinny. And so they were curious about this. And the, in order to study and understand this better, how can you have the exact same genetics and be so wildly different in terms of your weight? What they did was they took these identical human twins. Now, again, here comes the nerd in me. Bear with me, everyone. And they actually took the microbiome from each of these human twins and transferred it into mice. Okay. So what I just said is that basically they took poop from humans and they transferred the microbes from that poop into these mice. One mouse got the obese microbiome. The other mouse got the skinny microbiome. And then what they did is they fed these mice literally the exact same food the exact same number of calories. And what they found is that eating the exact same food, the exact same number of calories, the mouse that received the obese microbiome became obese. And the mouse that received the skinny microbiome became skinny, but they ate the same number of calories. And so when I conceptualize Danielle, calories in versus calories out, and the effect of our gut microbiome on this equation, I think about it like swimming in the ocean, all right? So if I'm swimming in the ocean, I'm an okay swimmer. I am by no means a powerful swimmer. But if the current is pushing me, I look like Michael Phelps out there. Like I am a human torpedo flying through the ocean, right? That is the person who can eat whatever they want and get away with it because their gut microbiome is protecting them. Lucky them. On the flip side, if the current is against you when you're swimming in the ocean, you are pushing, you are grinding, you are working your hardest, you are exhausting yourself, and you're not getting anywhere. And that is the person that we know who struggles with their weight and tries to do everything right and just can't seem to make any progress in terms of their weight loss goals. And it may be their microbiome that's holding them back. Now, Danielle, let me take it one step further. Those were mouse studies. Fascinating, right? Let's talk about humans. There is a researcher at the National Institutes of Health. His name is Kevin Hall. He does these amazing metabolism research studies because what he does is he takes people who volunteer and has them enter into a metabolic ward. What this means is that they are in a controlled environment, basically similar to being in a hospital where all of their food is being delivered to them. So they know exactly what these people are eating. The researchers have complete control. And what they did is they fed these people the exact same number of calories, but two different diets. They fed them a high carb, low fat diet, and they fed them a low carb, high fat diet, right? So high carb, low fat, meaning effectively a plant-based diet and low carb, high fat, effectively a ketogenic diet same number of calories. Did they lose the same amount of weight? No. They lost more weight 
on the high carb, low fat diet. And the implication is that this may be because they are shifting their microbiome. This was a very short study. It was two weeks of each diet. So we're not talking about weeks and weeks and weeks here, but in just two short weeks, they may be shifting their microbiome by eating fruits, vegetables, whole grains, seeds, nuts, and legumes. And that ends up being to their benefit. Do you believe also that there's this way that we've just overcomplicated nutrition? I think, especially on the consumer level, we have a way of overcomplicating things instead of simplifying. And every time we bring, I don't know, like a new scientific lens, I think we have to be really careful how that kind of feeds the psyche of the mass population. Because I think we have a tendency to like complicated. We have a tendency to like bio-individuality and so many things that I think tend to overcomplicate. Not to say that those things aren't at times important and grateful for the science behind it. But at the end of the day, you know what we do here at Sakara is help you get an abundance of really healthy plants. And sometimes people will question, okay, but what's the science behind this? And of course we have all that because there's tons of science behind it. But also it's like, do you need the science to know that six to eight cups of greens is important? Do you need the science to know that getting enough plants is important? Or like, how do we balance this idea of making sure it's scientific, but also just common sense? Yeah. Scientists the people who do the nutrition studies will be the first to admit that nutrition is complicated. And part of the challenge that we face is that we are in a new era for humanity that is very new. Most of the food in the American diet did not exist until the 1960s or later. Mm. And 60% of our diet is now processed food. Again, like those foods didn't exist when your great grandparents were coming up a hundred years ago. So we are in this new era where we have convenience foods and we are choosing to eat this way. We are choosing to eat mostly processed foods. We are choosing to eat in the United States more than our own body weight in meat on a yearly basis. And if we are trying to create rules, that will allow us to like in a vacuum accomplish one specific goal. Okay. My goal is weight loss and nothing else. And we want to continue to eat those processed foods and eat all that meat that we're eating. If that's what we want to do, then it becomes incredibly complicated because we're not designed for that. But if you want to go back to the way that we ate a hundred years ago and eat real food, and drop the processed stuff and be at least moderate, if not minimal, when it comes to animal product consumption, which is the way that humans have always been. If you want to go back to that way of eating, then you can basically re-engage or realign with the way that your biology was designed. And then it doesn't need to be complicated because when you're eating fruits, vegetables, whole grain, seeds, nuts, and legumes, this is the way that we were born and designed to eat. And we can eat that way in abundance and diversity without restriction until we're full. We can eat that way and automatically feel full and automatically nourish our body and automatically cover all our macronutrients and our micronutrients. 
And we don't have to fixate on calories or grams of fiber or specific nutrients. We don't have to fixate on that because we've already accomplished it just by eating this specific way. So it doesn't have to be as complicated as we make it. We make it complicated when we're trying to figure out some sort of way to lose weight and still eat bacon. Right. That's when you have to like have an algorithm that helps you crack the code, so to speak, as if it's possible. Exactly. Yeah. And I love that explanation of how complicated weight is. What about bloat? Can you talk about bloat? That's something that, you know, we have a lot of clients come to us with. Can you talk about what it is and how it relates to the microbiome? Absolutely. How much time do we have? You ready to go? (laughs) (laughs) Let's do another hour. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. All right. So the quick notes version, and this is something that I did discuss in great detail in in my book, Fiber Fuels. So for people who are interested in this topic, definitely check it out because specifically chapter five, where I break out or break down food sensitivity, that's the part that's going to be most relevant. But the, the point is this, we rely on our gut microbes for digestion. Specifically, they are helping us to digest the fiber and the polysaccharides and the complex sugars that exist within our food. They have the enzymes to do that. We do not. Us big, strong humans, if you look, Danielle, at the enzymes that help us to break down polysaccharides and fiber, us big, strong humans only have 17 of them. That is a pathetically small number. And there are some microbes that are literally, they're invisible to the naked eye. They are a single cell, one cell, and they have hundreds of these different types of enzymes in their arsenal to allow them to basically unpack and break down the fiber and the complex polysaccharides that exist in our food. So the issue when it comes to bloat is that we lean on our gut in order to help us to break down and process our food. And people will feel gas, bloating, and digestive distress of some variety when they exceed the capacity of your gut microbiome to break down and process those foods. And real quick, let me just throw this in there. Going back to those enzymes that we only have 17 of, they estimate that our microbiome has 60,000 of these different enzymes in order to help us to process and unpack all these different types of fiber, all these different types of polysaccharides. We have basically given this responsibility to our gut microbes. And the problem is that when you damage your gut, whether it be through taking antibiotics, other medications, through trauma and abuse, or a history of disordered eating pattern, or through eating a low fiber diet, when you damage your gut, it becomes less capable of processing and digesting those foods for us and it needs to be strengthened. But the good news is your gut is like a muscle. It can be trained. It can be made stronger. And just like you would go to the gym to build strength, how do you do it when you go to the gym? You start low and you go slow, right? You start with a certain amount of weight that you're actually capable of lifting. And then you ramp up over the course of time as you build strength. The same is true with our gut. If you suffer from digestive issues, including gas and bloating after meals, it's probable that there is something in the meal, and I'm referring to fiber and also the FODMAPs, there's something in the meal 
that may be causing the gas and bloating. And it's not that you are incapable of tolerating that food. It's more so that you have exceeded the capacity of your specific gut microbiome to process that food. And so what you need to do is you need to reduce it, moderate it, go low, and then slowly reintroduce it over time as you ramp it up and you will build strength in your gut and you will find that you're more capable as time goes on in terms of processing and digesting that food. And then the gas and bloating disappears, boom, gone. So do I hear you saying that you don't necessarily believe food intolerances are something that we should just, like if I'm intolerant to, I don't know, lentils, like it's something I should just take off the menu, that actually a healthy gut, a healthy microbiome can handle an array of plants and potentially all of them within balance. And it just means that our our gut needs to to go to the gym, so to speak. Yes, exactly. So the bottom line is that when we restrict our diet, let's take an example and use lentils, which you just mentioned. Looking at what happens when we eat lentils, there are specific populations of microbes that will help us to unpack the fiber in the lentils. And those are the same microbes that will thrive and turn that fiber into short-chain fatty acids for us. If you eliminate lentils from your diet, you say, I can't do lentils. Boom, gone. They're out of here. Okay, well, guess what happens to those microbes? Those microbes start to grow weaker and weaker, and ultimately they die off. And now you don't have them anymore. And your gut microbiome, and when you narrow the scope within your diet, you lead to a loss of diversity within your microbiome, which actually makes you less capable of dealing with the food that you're trying to eat. And so while you may feel better if you're lucky in the short term when you eliminate food, you're going to feel worse in the, in the long term. And I see this in my clinic, in the people who come to me, and they're literally eating like mashed potatoes and chicken, and that's it. Because they can't tolerate anything else because they have been on a progressively restrictive diet over the course of time. The paradoxical solution is that the food that they fear because they think that it's going to cause problems, we just need to reintroduce it low and slow enough to allow their gut to adapt to it and build strength. And then that will bring back the diverse abundant microbiome that they need and that will restore their health. I love that so much because I do think that it's become kind of trendy to have food intolerances and then stay away from that food. And yeah, obviously it's important to listen to your body, but I love hearing the science behind, you know, how important it is to actually get your gut to a place where you can you don't have those intolerances, that it's not something we all have to live with. One thing real quick, I just want to toss in, and I think this is just for the listeners at home, because I want to make sure that I bring good value to them and and can help them as much as possible. So one of the things that is very relevant to a person who suffers with gas and bloating is to make sure that there's no constipation. Constipation is the number one cause of gas and bloating out there, period. And if you are attempting to make a dietary change, striving towards the diet that you and I promote, yet you are constipated, you're not going to feel well when you do that. And you're going to have a lot of gas and bloating. And it becomes critically important to restore rhythm to your gut. So the point I wanted to make to your listeners is that in my clinic, if you were to hypothetically come and see me, what you would find is that if I tell you that I think that you're constipated, I'm not going to ramp up your fiber. I'm not going to change your diet until I get your bowels moving. 
And then once I have your bowels moving, it is shocking how much these food intolerances that people suffer from, Danielle, they just disappear. And all of a sudden, you're able to tolerate so much more. And then, because your bowels are moving, you can reintroduce these foods, you can tolerate them, you can bring back that diversity. Yeah, and that's an important part, because I think typically people might think just add more fiber, but constipation, maybe we'll have to do a part two <laughs> all about constipation. I think that the, the point from my perspective is no matter what we're trying to do, the optimal strategy for human health and the one that I endorse is to eat well, to handle your, to have a lifestyle that heals, but also to acknowledge and accept the best of 21st century healthcare where appropriate. I love that. And I think we should go to light work. So what homework are you going to give us? You know, we were kind of in the depths of, of science and the micro world, but what's something that we can do right now? What's some homework that we can do to all shine our lights a little brighter? Okay. So the quick, easy way for me to answer this question would be eat a diversity of plants. But I think everyone who's listening today, hopefully is already going to do that. Convinced. So, right. So let me go beyond that and say that when we think about our day to day, there is consistency in our morning. There is consistency in our evening. And then everything in the middle is just crazy. And what I would really encourage everyone to do is to build healthy habits around this is the homework. This is your light work is I want you to build a morning routine that heals. When you build a morning routine that heals, you are setting yourself up for success throughout the day. Now, let me give you a quick example of what I'm referring to just to be a little more specific. Here's what I do every morning. I wake up, I have two large glasses of water. I need to rehydrate. I have been to the bathroom a couple of times overnight. I haven't had anything to drink in 12 hours. Turns on my brain, turns on my kidneys, turns on my gut, two large glasses of water. And then I have my coffee, but my coffee is a vehicle to deliver prebiotics and polyphenols to my gut. So I don't just drink coffee. I actually have my coffee and I'll add to it a prebiotic fiber supplement like acacia powder or like wheat dextrin. And oftentimes I'll add spices. One of my favorite combinations is turmeric, ginger, and cinnamon. I love that combination, especially this time of year. So I have my, my coffee with spices, with a prebiotic fiber supplement, and I will take five minutes to myself before my kids get up. My, light, my light work to you guys at home is to not necessarily copy mine, but please feel free to if you want to, but build a morning routine that's, that frames your day and sets you up for success. That's my light work. I love that so much. Fill your cup, <laughs> literally and figuratively. <laughs> exactly. In your case. Uh, this is such an amazing conversation as, as I knew it would be. I learned so much and I thought I knew a whole lot about the microbiome. So I'm so excited that our listeners get to, to hear this and hopefully feel inspired to shift not just their diet, but also their mindset. And thank you for, for all the work you do. It's incredibly inspiring and grateful to have you on this journey with us as we 
inspire people to take better care of themselves. I love it, Danielle. And, you know, just sort of a quick closing thought is like literally the first thing that you said at the beginning of the show was it's really cool how much we have in common in terms of the way that we think about things. And the reason why we have so much in common is not because we have coincidentally come to the same place. It's that you and I are both coming from our own place, but with the same common goal, which is health and wellness. And we're finding that the same path guides us to health and wellness. And that's why we have so much in common is that there is this common path that exists for all of us. Aho, as we say. Thank you so much, Dr. B. I really appreciate it. That was an awesome conversation. All right. Thanks so much. We'll talk really soon. All right. See ya. Bye-bye. As you all know by now, we love sharing Sakara stories. Sakara started with my story and Whitney's story and how living this way transformed our lives. And we just feel so honored and lucky that we've had the opportunity to help other people transform their lives. And we always felt like sharing them was the least that we could do. So here is Stephanie B's story from Wisconsin. After leaving New York City, I had a terrible diet of junk food, fast food, and comfort food intermixed with healthy, good food, but I always felt hungry and therefore ate more junk. It was a vicious cycle that was hard to end. I have and do work with some well-known functional doctors and homeopaths, and I know what good nutrition is, even though I was completely depriving myself of it. I would say Sakara is at the highest level of nutrition that I could imagine for a meal delivery program with superfoods and other nutrients that aren't even widely known to those in the know. I'm impressed. Plus, you're able to deliver this to me each week in what is pretty much the countryside in expert packaging. The food tastes delicious. No flavor is compromised. It doesn't feel like food that was prepared in bulk like I know some meal programs do. I just started a subscription, so I hope I can lose some weight and regain energy and balance while in the program. And so far, so good. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for sharing your Sakara story. And reminding me, you know, one of the main reasons we started this company is because it is so easy to deprive ourselves. It is so easy not to prioritize our own health. And one of the most important ways that we can nourish is our plate and what we decide to eat every single day. So our goal is to make it not only effective and nourishing, but also really joyful and delicious. So thank you so much for your Sakara story. If you have a Sakara story that you would like to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at sakarastories at sakaralife.com. That's S-A-K-A-R-A-S-T-O-R-I-E-S at sakaralife.com or send us a DM at sakaralife. Don't forget to hit subscribe for the Sakara Life podcast and share this episode with anyone you think needs to hear what we talked about today. And don't forget about the light work. It might feel a little hard, a little uncomfortable, but it's supposed to. The whole idea is that we lean into what's uncomfortable so we all get to shine our lights a little brighter. And we'll see you on the other side, Sakara Lights. Lights.